Today's show is brought to you by Lightning Pod. If you have a podcast, you know that it's a lot of work. But Lightning Pod can help. We've been working with their founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year now, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. So if you're starting a new podcast or you want to make your existing podcast better, you should get in touch with Eric. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. Hey, everyone. This is Richard Gunther from the Digital Media Zone. While many of us are still hunkered down and working from home this summer, the smart home platforms we depend on are improving. In our last episode, we dissected Apple's announcements from their developer conference. Now it's Google's turn. Google's virtual smart home summit, while far less polished and produced than Apple's event, was full of good bits for developers and consumers alike. But I have one big complaint, and it has to do with, you guessed it, works with Nest. Get ready for a rant. Hey everyone, I'm Adam Justice from ConnectSense, and welcome to the Smart Home Show. I'm joined as usual by my co-host Richard Gunther from the Digital Media Zone. And on today's show, we're going to discuss recent announcements from Google at their virtual Smart Home Summit. Hey, how's it going, Adam? Hey, good to hear from you. So last time we talked, we talked about what was going on at Apple's developer conference. And now we're going to take a look at what's going on on the Google side of things. But before we do that, I have a question for you. If you had to pick a team, if you had the opportunity to only be exposed to one of Star Wars or Star Trek, which is it? This is an easy, easy question. I'm team Star Wars all the way. Oh, <laughs> okay. All right. Let's hear it. So, yeah, uh, I think I just grew up in the wrong era for Star Trek. I was never really on my radar. And I actually kind of came to Star Wars a little bit late. How I came into Star Wars fandom is a little bit unique. Um, as a teenager, I was in maybe sixth grade. And for Christmas one year, I wanted nothing more than a pinball machine. And I was just like, probably super annoying about it. And clear message from my parents was, you ain't getting a pinball machine. <laughs> Come down on Christmas morning and I believe the way this was, was there was a little like toy plastic, think the cheapest pinball machine you can think of in my stocking or something from, from Santa Claus. And uh, then go down in the basement and there is a full standing Star Wars pinball machine in the basement. Wow. I had no Star Wars fandom at the time and didn't really care anything about Star Wars at the time. But from that, getting the pinball machine, then started watching the movies and learning about it. And uh, shortly thereafter was when they re-released all of the movies in the theaters, um, the special editions. And I saw all of those as they re-released in the theaters. And my Star Wars fandom kind of grew from there. So I now, after many, many years of trying... Uh, actually have that said pinball machine at my house. It doesn't get played nearly as as often, but it's an awesome pinball machine. 
And uh, I am definitely a big Star Wars nerd. All right. Well, uh, that's fun because I am absolutely team Star Trek. And not that I don't love Star Wars. I do. I've obsessed on it. I've seen each movie many, many, many times. But I think I like Star Trek for a variety of reasons. One is that it has just such a diverse set of characters and storylines told over like, you know, multiple centuries really now that we've (laughs) spanned so much of the timeline. And I love that many, not all, but many of the stories are kind of like societal lessons and make it think a little bit about how we as a society function and maybe aspire to be or uh, could be potentially someday in the future. And that's usually a message of hope. Now, not all Star Trek fleshed out that way as Roddenberry died and others took the helm, but that's been a large theme along the way. And it's something that I've really liked about Star Trek all along. You mentioned the pinball machine, and I think this is funny because my best friend, Chris, has a Star Trek pinball machine in his basement. Nice. I believe probably, if I had to guess, also Team Star Trek. So uh, <laughs> I have to ask, because I, I know very little Star Trek, like probably my real only exposure to it is like the abrams movies what is your opinion of the newer like cbs all access star trek stuff it's fantastic it's really really good i am not a fan of the way they're more or less and i know this is an overly severe term extorting fans to see it but I, I really like what they've done. I've watched all of Discovery and all of Picard, and I thought it was fantastic. But you couldn't be happier to be extorted in that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know that I would put it that way, but, you know. <laughs> all right, that was fun. So uh, if you want to submit a question to ask us uh, and have us open the show with it, you can send it to us on Twitter with the hashtag AskAdamAndRichard. All right, Adam. You and I just finished talking about all the stuff that Apple was doing. We watched this incredibly highly produced, polished, pre-recorded presentation that was just like, if not better than being there in person. And now Google follows it up with their own Google Summit that was, I don't know, a Zoom recording with someone reading a PowerPoint deck. Yeah, their uh, their production value was a, left a little bit uh, to be, uh, I don't know, could could have been better. And uh, uh, we were talking over text. It kind of cracked me up. Michelle Turner is a very nice lady. I know her personally. I've sat on panels with her. But I noticed immediately that she was wearing AirPods while giving her Google briefing. And I was like, <laughs> come on, Google. You can do better than that. At least put the Pixel Buds on for for show even if it's not reality yeah it it was it was an odd presentation it was edited it was clearly edited because they had that annoying jump cut 
edit between sentences where you don't get an opportunity to actually pause between sentences when you start the next one going on. And yet it had all kinds of verbal trips and everything else. So it, I, I don't know what they were going for, but hey, you know, everybody's doing what they can right now, right? Yeah, I think the big difference was the Apple stuff was all done at their campus versus this was clearly done at home with whatever they had. So, you know, it was fine for that. But uh, yeah, definitely within weeks of WWDC, there was a stark contrast. <laughs> now, they had a lot to talk about, but for some reason, it didn't seem like it was that big of a deal, but I think we're going to be able to get into a bunch of stuff here. Now, I caught some things, you caught some things. The first thing in our notes here is something that caught your attention. Do you want to tackle this one first? Sure. So this was Smart Home for Entertainment Devices, that which they had the acronym of SHED. It sounds like this was previously only for partners uh, working on TVs, uh, device consoles. They had Xbox as a partner, all the major TV manufacturers. I think the main announcement here was not that this exists, but that they were now opening this up to partners at any entertainment device. So anybody that makes a TV or entertainment-related device now can do this, and um, it's kind of open as a smart home developer set of actions that anybody can do. So um, I wasn't even familiar with this. It sounds like it was a little bit of old news, but all the good players, Harmony was on there, all the right people were on there. So that sounded interesting to me. I certainly am interested in more ways to control my entertainment devices, and I wish Apple would catch up on this. I'm curious if there is any really any real product out there that's leveraging this yet. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. This was kind of the first I had heard of it. So I'm interested to learn some more because um, certainly it would be nice to have more of these types of controls. I know my Google Home device is in my TV area. So if, if it worked with Harmony or stuff when my remote dies, that would certainly be useful. Next up, they talked about something they're calling gentle sleep and wake. Now, as best I can tell, this is a feature that they're adding to lighting that is going to allow them to manipulate the lighting level and potentially the color to ease someone awake or to ease someone to sleep. This is not, as I understand it, something that'll just like change circadian light color throughout the day. It's specifically for these wake and sleep events, but it's a really cool feature. And it's something that, and here's the catch. Actually, this isn't a catch at all. Here's the benefit. Doesn't require any additional vendor support. Vendors could add support to make it even better, but this will work without, as we see with Apple, any sort of hardware or firmware update to be able to support this feature. I love that. Yeah, certainly nice that with the control they have already, they can do this. Uh, that's, you know, like you said, in contrast to what Apple is having to do, it's nice that, you know, 
they they have enough building blocks in in what they already have control and access over to to add features like this. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now, we had already heard that there was going to be something of a I don't know what you want to call it, a home base if you will for smart home stuff in Android 11. And she talked a little bit more about that, that there there would be this dedicated control space and it will uh, allow people to manage their smart home devices more centrally. And this is something that will be native in Android 11 as opposed to what we're all used to today from Google, which is the Google Home app. Maybe that will still exist and this will just be kind of shortcuts into it or something along those lines. That's the impression that I got here. How about you? They made a big push a year or two ago for this status reporting um, from device manufacturers. And it was clear to me at the time that it was for these display-based devices of the Google Home and Nest devices. And so this is just kind of a a result of that, she said in the in the keynote that people really enjoy the touch experience on the the video and and touch devices, um, like the Nest Home, and so they're just kind of extending that now into Android 11. So I'm sure the people who uh, get Android 11 on their phones in the next three to four years will love it. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure they will indeed. I'm sorry. I'm a hater. It'll be on the latest Samsung devices and stuff like that. But, you know, it, this is a good thing. And I like that they're doing this. Now, you you talked about that whole status reporting versus status querying. That is something where they were saying that, you know, you're going to be able to do more in the Google smart home ecosystem as a developer if and once you move from that querying model where they have to check your status to something where you're reporting the status. And certainly that makes a whole lot of sense for a dashboard or for cards or something like that that would be on a screen. Yeah, the key of this requirement is anytime your device state changes, you need to report it to them. And it's so if somebody opens up this view on Android 11 or on a device, they can see the current state of the device. So it just gives for a better experience for all this kind of stuff. Yeah, that makes complete sense. Now, the other thing that they were talking about was more integration opportunities through their local home SDK. And this is something that I'm a huge fan of. The example that most people know about now, if you buy a C by GE bulb, you can just pair it directly with your Google or your Nest device, and you don't have to actually have any bridge. It is your bridge. And if you figure that you have these things around your home help solve that problem specifically with Bluetooth devices. But as I understand it, this is also going to work with local execution over IP as well, right? Yeah, this is something, you know, we had taken a little bit of a look at last year after going to probably their previous summit. But yeah, they allow you to run uh, the commands of your devices, um, you know, locally 
where they're talking to a, the Google Home device or the Nest Nest Hub um, directly. So just adds for a lot faster communication and just a better experience of being able to talk to that stuff locally. And I mentioned this on Home On as well, but one of the things that I'm excited about here is, you know, maybe eliminating the need for developers to product manufacturers to have to build all of these bridges. Like they have to have bridges to get the Bluetooth, to have to have some sort of, of bridge device between your things and the network. So to the extent that they can support this now, as far as I'm aware, even though some Google devices in the past have had, Geez, I think it was Z-Wave, if I remember correctly, like the the Wi-Fi thing that they came out with at some point in time. They're really only talking Wi-Fi and or IP and Bluetooth here. Yeah, we can dream, right? You know. <laughs> but then, you know, you still have to be compatible with Amazon's ecosystem. So how do you do that? If they don't have something similar, hopefully we'll get there someday. Someday we'll get there. Someday. We may talk about how we get there later. So the next the next thing in here was, uh, I just put under the category of developer stuff. You know, this was a summit, you know, mainly focused towards developer type uh, communities. So two of the features they added here were better logging for um, smart home functions. This is for folks that are developing with the local SDK, as well as account linking and server events. Just from talking to my guys, I think sometimes this stuff can be a little bit of a black box. And so you're literally just kind of throwing things over the wall and see what happens. So anything where you can get better logging when you're in working with this stuff, that's going to equal better user experiences. So developers always like to see this kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I also... Love it, and I don't know that a whole lot of applications do this, but I, I love it when an application offers a user the ability to review the history of activity on a device or in a home. And without this sort of information coming back from the platform, you can't always do that in any sort of holistic way. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, the other one here was analytics. So just giving some analytics for developers to see how many active users do they have for their, their Google Home integration? Um, what are the different kinds of requests? Stuff like that. So I think that's helpful for, for manufacturers like us um, just to have an idea of, you know, as we look at the work we're doing, you know, how big is our Google Home user base? What are they doing with it? You know, what's what's important to those users? And that can help us decide whether or not to invest in things like the local SDK and other features that, um, you know, Google is doing. So uh, just helpful for all of that. Does any other ecosystem offer that today? I don't. This is not a good question for me. I would have to ask my devs. I think there's some basic stuff in, in Amazon um, that we can see, um, certainly not in HomeKit. I think that's a really nice feature as well. I think that's something that's valuable. It helps you figure out where you're getting the most bang. Yeah, for sure. All right, cool. Well, we're going to take a quick break in the event that we have sponsors. And if we don't, then we'll be right back with some more smart home discussion. 
All right. So uh, Richard's favorite topic, the works with Nest transition. So they, Michelle gave a, a little bit of an update on where things stand with the works with Nest transition. So they said that the Google product control, uh, I think one of the things they really highlighted was one of the concerns with the works with Nest transition was around security and privacy. And so Google products can only be controlled by third parties who have, who are called device access partners. And those device access partners have to be thoroughly vetted and do a security audit once a year. So you had said here, it sounds like a certification process is similar to MFI. I wouldn't say necessarily that as much as it sounded more like a you, you have to kind of go through steps as a company to get a key to the door. But I'm sure there's some MFI-like uh, you know, vetting once you do get the key. But it, that's more what it felt like to me. Got it. Okay. And this uh, device access console will be available to partners and individuals. So going forward. The next one, they said, you know, one of the most popular features for works with nest was triggering home and away routines and their replacement for this is something they're calling presence detection and this i thought was pretty interesting so they indicated you'll be able to use determine which devices you want to use to determine presence this sounded interesting to me so you know if you have Nest thermostat and, uh, you know, a couple Android devices in your house. I think this could be super powerful in how you determine home and away based routines. Yeah, absolutely. And if you think about it, you know, that home and away status, that really is the gold data element in some basic home automation capabilities. And to have lost that with works with Nest kind of crippled a lot of what smart home enthusiasts who were taking advantage of that with Nest would, you know, it, it, it kind of crippled what they wanted to be able to do with their ecosystem. So the fact that they've taken a look at the things that are or were most popular with works with Nest and targeted them first, I think that's smart. And I'm really glad to see that they're going to add this in because those home away triggers are really critical to, you know, even saving money or making your house look like it's lived in or, you know, for the safety, security and convenience factors that you'd expect out of any real home automation solution. Let's be clear. They were important before 2020 and maybe they'll be important again sometime. Oh, well, that's true. Since we're all always home now. (laughs) I don't know. According to my Instagram account, not everybody seems to be home all the time anymore. I don't get it, but whatever. <laughs> we won't get political on this show. We'll try not to. So, yeah, I, I thought this was interesting. I, I mean, to me, presence detection is a, like you said, it, it's very important and nobody's really cracked it yet. And so if this is as awesome as it sounds like it could be, um, this could be really powerful. I think what gives me pause is how this would work in mixed households where there are iOS and Android devices and how all in do you have to be in the Google ecosystem to truly get 
the this experience. Right, because the equivalent on the Apple side would be Apple's ability to detect whether someone's home or away and whether their last home or uh, or rather first home or last away. Those are very, very powerful, but that's all dependent on you being and everybody else in the home being an iOS or iPhone user. Now, if Google can one-up them and make this so it's not dependent on that specific hardware requirement, that'd be a big plus. Yeah, and uh, if they can offer this in the Google Home app for iOS, that could be interesting too. I mean, this that would even be something where I would dabble with, you know, doing some presence-based stuff you know, using that ecosystem. So we'll see. I'll definitely stay tuned and, and keep up to date on what's going on with this because it, it sounds like it could be very cool. The last one on the Works with Nest transition was the partners are going to be able to offer customers customized routines. I'll tell you what I thought this was and, and see if this is what it sounded like to you. But to me, this sounded like you could offer like an example routine that works well with your devices and allow customers to implement it in their implementation. Was that what you took it to be? Yeah, I I take this to be that if you, for example, have some sort of device that could be used as a trigger for something else that you can offer up that trigger as the initiator for a routine and Google has to approve that you can't just as a product manufacturer arbitrarily say, okay, well, this status is going to be something that anybody can use as a trigger. Google will have to work with these partners to say, yes, you can allow this to be part of a routine. Because anything can be an action in a routine. Right. You just can't necessarily be a trigger. And that was the thing that made Works with Nest so powerful. Also... That is the thing that makes routines in Google now so limited is that you can't do this. So an example for us would be like we could donate voltage at a current at a certain level. And, you know, if you turn on your projector, for example, uh, on your in-wall outlet, when you detect that current, then you use that as a routine to trigger. Yeah, absolutely. If, if the load has been, that's plugged into one of your outlets has been t- actually turned on or exceeds a certain voltage. Yeah. That would be a really useful thing. Uh, I mean, if you think about it just for sensors, you can't use sensors today in Google home as a trigger for something. And it's not always going to be coming home or going away that you care about. It's not always going to be just like presence in the home, you may just want to be able to determine that, okay, somebody is in this closet now, so turn the light on for five minutes and then turn it off five minutes later. So I saw some of your tweets about this, and it didn't sound like you were happy. So <laughs> I'm, I'm interested to know, you know, I don't know, however long we are from the when they announced this transition... Uh, where did you expect to be by now and what's still missing that you care about? Yeah, I, I, we're 11 months past when this all started. And it, it just astounds me that a year in 
and they still don't and won't by the year mark yet have all the pieces back in place that made the works with nest program so good things like, and I have to imagine that these might be up their sleeves for potential triggers, but things like your nest smug alarm is going off. So maybe turn on a bunch of lights or turn lights to a specific color or something like that. True safety features that many customers with Nest products have withheld from transitioning to Google for so that they can continue to have these features available to them. And it, I'm a year, a year later, and they still have not backfilled and will not yet have all the things in place that you could do with works with Nest. So I'm, I'm generally disappointed with how slowly this has been going. And it, it seems like it, the way they're presenting it suggests that they're feeling no sense of urgency from the community to meet this need. And I'm kind of shocked by that. Yeah. I mean, we'll see what, uh, what is to come and, uh, you know, who knows, they may have some things up your, up their sleeve, like you said, or they may be not even planning to replace all of it. You know, some of it was, uh, you know, they obviously had their reasons for getting rid of it. And, uh, sounds like they're going to focus on what they viewed as what was the most popular pieces of it, but we may never see all of it done. What I hope we don't end up seeing is more of this protectionist perspective where, for example, there are still ecosystems, and I'm not even talking about like HomeKit, but there are still ecosystems where you can't control a Nest thermostat. The most popular smart thermostat out there. And if I want to control it with anything but an Echo or Google Home stuff like the Google Assistant, I can't. That's ridiculous. Now, and you mentioned um, the Nest Protect smoke alarms. I have those in my house. That's probably the that's the Nest product that uh, has hung around the longest for me. And I would mm-hmm. love to be able to automate off of the motion sensors in those. That's very powerful and could be really interesting for presence type stuff. But I can't do anything with that. Right. Now, I I would very much expect that the sensors from those devices will participate in this presence detection because they do today for the purposes of determining whether you're home or away on your thermostat. So we'll see. We will see. see. But maybe they'll fix it all with Project Chip, Adam. Yes. So they... They talked about their involvement in Project Chip. Oh, is that an involvement? Because it sounded to me when they said, and I'm quoting, we're forming a partnership with blah, 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 that just like Apple, they were taking credit for it, too. Yeah. Well, the big boys can all uh, all take credit <laughs> and, and say, we were the ones that started it. I don't actually know who did, who came to the table first, but 
whatever. As long as you all get along and get it done, we don't care. I agree with that. So yeah, I thought it was interesting that uh, she used the example of USB as the type of universal standard that they really set the bar for, that they want chip to be that kind of standard where it's just ubiquitous. It works wherever you need it. And, um, you know, just that kind of good standard. So I thought that was an interesting bar and uh, certainly what I think we would be looking for in terms of compatibility across the board. I can't let that go without mentioning that I have like, you know, four or five different types of USB plugs and cables just in my desk drawer. So, you know, for what that's worth. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Hopefully we don't have chip 2.0 and chip type C and <laughs> all those kinds of things. <laughs> Hopefully we can just say, you know, universal like uh, whatever USB 2 was Yeah. before it got complicated. But they did say, you know, this is a, a standard that's focused totally around IP. It will run on Wi-Fi and thread. And they use the example of Bluetooth for discovery. So I thought that was interesting kind of outlier. Yeah, I thought that was interesting too, particularly since they're already doing stuff with direct Bluetooth control. Yeah, and uh, I mean, we do this, we use Bluetooth for discovery in our in-wall, and uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's something that uh, I think a lot more people are doing. The new WiseLock does that. Yeah, I like that, that it's in the mix and um, certainly should be a piece of it. I thought it was also interesting that they mentioned that they open sourced and created uh, contributed technologies like Weave. One, this almost sounded like a mirror to Apple's statement when they talked about Chip and talked about how they open sourced HomeKit. And uh, always funny to me that there were multiple things called Weave within Google. So when she said that, I was like, which one? Was it Nest Weave? Was it <laughs> Google Weave? We don't know. But one of them was open sourced. Which I always kind of thought Weave was sort of a, a HomeKit clone anyways. So if, you know, Apple opens those HomeKit and Google open source Weave, then we're going to have something that looks like HomeKit. And uh, they said here that the spec is going to be released in late 2020. I think I'll, I'll re-emphasize we're going to keep talking about this. You're going to continue to hear about Chip from us. But I think in terms of actually seeing product that will be in consumer hands, I think we're looking at late 21 uh maybe er, you know ces 2022 at the earliest um would be my prediction based on where this is and uh, yeah we'll see that that that's depends on how good the spec is and all that kind of stuff the other thing that i thought was really interesting and i guess this shouldn't be any big surprise is she talked about this working on the basically the hardware that today could support Zigbee. And that does make complete sense. And we know that the Zigbee Alliance is uh, also behind this. And as I understand it, the actual <laughs> like parent organization for this thing. Yeah. So uh, again, I'm, I'm very bullish on this. I think that this has a lot of great potential. I think people have to be realistic about what they're going to be able to do in terms of creating uh, creating an ecosystem that everybody can play in. And 
while it's great to see all of those different logos up there, we won't know for, I would argue, a good three or four years how ubiquitous this becomes. Yeah, I think what what remains a question for me, and you know, hopefully we can bring somebody in here um, that's an expert on chip at some point to talk about it. Is where where does the standard end, and where do people where are the platforms allowed to put their special sauce on top of it? Uh, that's not clear to me, and I think that's a lot of that is going to determine how useful this is and how differentiated the different players can still be in their experiences. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So, yeah. And they, they left us off uh, with saying that, you know, we're still excited about all the things they're doing with local home SDK and, you know, Google actions and all that kind of stuff. And, and that that stuff is not changing and we'll, we'll continue working. So I think that's got to be the message from all these people as they talk about forward looking stuff is like, the answer for Google right now is all things Google Home and uh, works with Nest and, uh, you know, all that transition and everything else they talked about. And, you know, we'll talk more about Chip when we get there and, and when there's more to say. Uh, so a cliffhanger for the next PowerPoint presentation. Exactly. <laughs> all right. Well, that is going to wrap our kind of perspective on what was announced from Google over the last week or so. But before we get out of here, we have a question from a listener. And I, I think this one is probably best answered by me. This one comes from Vaughn, known as Texas Vani on Twitter. And she asks, or she says rather, my Instion installation on every switch in my house is complete. Any insight on Instion's timeline for HomeKit compatibility? Uh, that's a big question. I, so I will first start this off with my usual disclaimer that I have, I periodically am under contract with Instion for work. I am not going to, and I don't necessarily know anything specific about this from the company, but I can tell you what we've put together from what we know about how HomeKit works and from what Instion's product roadmap seems to be. We know, as we were mentioning earlier, that in HomeKit's ecosystem, like what Google is trying to get to, your product needs to be able to report its status to HomeKit. That's something that HomeKit cares about because they want to be able to display the current state of a product. And that needs to be the case for every device that is going to show up in HomeKit, even if it's connected through a bridge. So, for example, sensors need to be able to report their status through the bridge to HomeKit. That is not currently how all of the hardware in Instian's ecosystem works. Sensors, for example, only report status back at the moment that that status changes. And then 
you're not necessarily able to query that status easily if you're a developer or something like that. So I suspect that for HomeKit compatibility to come to Instion, we're probably going to see a next generation hub. And that hub will likely do its best to tie together existing Instion devices with new hardware that they would come out with that can be even more designed to work in a way that is more communicative and provide the status to everybody. So when is all of this going to happen? Well, Instion talked about releasing new software and new hardware. So it wouldn't surprise me if we get a hardware announcement from Instion sometime this year. Now, will they at that time say, and it's going to be HomeKit compatible from day one? Uh, I don't know if I would bet on that necessarily, because it's something that they could add. They don't necessarily have to do it out of the gate. So that's that's my take on it. Again, I'm not sharing anything that isn't available publicly, just kind of amassing all of the things that we know about the industry and how Instion products work. And I'm glad to see that people are excited about Instion. I love the Instion stuff. And, um, I, you know, I, I'm a big fan. And also, if you're an Instion user, just a quick little plug here. Check out Homeboy. It's an app that I have a little something to do with. And it makes it easier to control your Instion stuff. I'm jealous of Vaughn's uh, being done with every switch in their house. Man, hashtag goals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. That... That is really nice. I am still trying to replace all of my light switches, and I don't have them all replaced yet. But yes, I agree completely. I don't think it'll ever happen unless I build a new home from scratch. But, you know, <laughs> maybe someday. Someday. All right. If you have a smart home question for us, you can send it our way with the hashtag AskSmartHomeShow, and we'll pick a new question to include in each show. So thanks for Vaughn for sending that one, and uh, send those our way on Twitter. All right. Well, that's going to wrap this episode. So before we go, um, let's see, where can people find us? How about you, Adam? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Adam Justice and uh, keep up with everything my company is doing on our website at ConnectSense.com. All right. And you can find me on Twitter at Richard Gunther and you can find what I'm writing and my other shows on the Digital Media Zone com. You can find us on the web at smarthome.fm. And if you are looking for that, you're going to find it pretty much in terms of our show. If you're looking for our show, you're going to find it everywhere. We're in Google, we're in Apple, and we're also a part of technology.fm. So you, know, you can check out the other shows there, Home Tech FM, The Food Tech Show, and oh yeah, my other show, Home On. And if you like what you're hearing, please do us a favor, leave us a review or a rating, and uh, more importantly, tell a friend. Thanks a lot. Thanks for joining us. Yeah.